Lessons 26 and 27 of the History of London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. The History of London by Walter Besant. Lesson 26. The Religious Houses. If we take a map of London in the fourteenth century, and lay down upon it all the monasteries and religious houses that then existed, we shall find twenty, all rich and splendid foundations, without counting those of Westminster and the villages within a few miles of London stone. These were built, for the most part, either just within or just without the city wall. The reason was that the city was less densely populated near the wall than lower down along the riverside. Every one of these societies was possessed of estates in the country, and streets and houses in the city. Every one then retained, besides the monks or friars and nuns, a whole army of officers and servants. A great monastery provided employment for a very large number of people. In every separate estate which belonged to it, the monastery wanted tenant farmers, foresters and hunters, labourers, stewards and bailiffs, a curate or vicar in charge of the church, and all the officers who are required for the management of an estate. For the house itself there were wanted first the service of the chapel, apart from the singing which was done by the brethren, the school, the library lawyers and clerks to administer the estates, and guard the rights and privileges of the house, the brew-house, bake-house, kitchen, cellar, stables, with all the officers and servants required in a place where everything was made in the house, the architects, surveyors, carpenters, and people wanted to maintain the buildings. It is not too much to reckon that a fourth part of the population of London belonged in some way or other to the monasteries, while these houses were certainly the best customers for the wines, silks, and spices which were brought to the quays of Queenhithe and Billingsgate. It is generally believed that the monasteries, besides relieving the sick and poor, and teaching the boys and girls, threw open their doors readily to any poor lad who desired to take the vows of the order. All this is a misconception. There were the same difficulties about relieving the poor as there are with us at the present moment. That is to say, indiscriminate charity then, as now, turned honest working men into paupers. This the monks and friars understood very well. They were therefore careful about their charities. Also, in many houses the school was allowed to drop into disuse, and as regards the admission of poor boys, it was done only in cases where a boy showed himself quick and studious. It has been the glory of the Church in all ages that she has refused to recognise any barrier of birth, but she has also been careful to preserve her distinctions for those who deserve them. Most of the brethren in a rich foundation were of gentle birth and good family. If a poor boy asked to join a monastery, he was lucky if he was allowed to become one of its servants and to wear its livery. Then his livelihood was assured. There is every reason to believe that the rule of the brethren, strict for themselves, was light and easy for their servants. You may find out for yourselves where the London monasteries were, 
by the names of streets now standing on their sites. Thus, following the line of the wall from the tower, north and west, you find St. Catherine's Dock, where stood St. Catherine's Hospital. The Minories marks the house of the Minorites, or Sisters of St. Clare. Great St. Helens is on the site of St. Helens' Nunnery. Spittle Square stands where St. Mary's Spittle formerly received the sick. Blackfriars, Charter House, and Bartholomew's still keep their name. Austin Friars is the name of a court, and the Friars' Church still stands. Whitefriars is still the name of a street. Greyfriars is Christ's Hospital. The Temple is now the Lawyer's Home. Part of the Church of the Knights Hospitallers is still to be seen. Three great houses, it is true, have left no trace or memory behind. Eastminster, or the Cistercian Abbey of St. Mary of Grace, which stood north of St. Catherine's, and was a very great and stately place indeed. The Priory of the Holy Trinity, which stood where is now Duke's Place, north of the church of St. Catherine Cree. And St. Mary of Bethlehem, which stood just outside Bishopsgate. The memory of Bermondsey Abbey and St. Mary Overy on the south side of the river has also departed, but the church of the latter still stands, the most beautiful church in London, next to Westminster Abbey. But besides all these religious houses employing thousands of people, there were in the city of London no fewer than 126 parish churches. Many of the parishes were extremely small, a single street or half a street. Many of the churches were insignificant, but many were rich and costly structures, adorned and beautified by the piety of many generations. All were endowed with funds for the saying of masses for the dead, so that there were many priests to every parish. Consider these things, and you will understand that the city was filled with ecclesiastics, priests, friars, servants of the church. At every corner rose a church. To one standing on the other bank of the river, the city presented a forest of spires and towers. The church then occupied a far larger part of the daily life than is now the case even with Catholic countries. All were expected to attend a daily service. The trade companies went to church in state. Young men belonged to a guild. The ringing of the bells was never silent. No one could escape, if he desired, from the church. No one did desire to escape, because every one belonged to the church. You must understand not only that the church was so great and rich that it owned and ruled a very large part of the country, but also that the people all belonged to the church. It was part of their life as much as their daily work, their daily food, their daily rest. End of Lesson 26 Lesson 27 Monks, Friars and Nuns we must not speak of monks indiscriminately as if they were all the same. There were as many varieties among the orders as there are sects among Protestants, and as much rivalry and even hatred of one with the other. Let us learn some of the distinctions among them. Monks were first introduced into Western Europe in the year 529. 
there had long been brotherhoods, hermits, and solitaries in the East, where they existed before the Christian age. St. Benedict founded at Monte Cassino in Campania a monastery for twelve brethren in that year. The Benedictines are the most ancient order. They have also been always the most learned. The Priory of the Holy Trinity in London was Benedictine. Several branches sprang out of this order, mostly founded with the view of practising greater austerities. Among them were the Carthusians, a very strict order. In London they had the Charter House, a name which is a corruption of Chartreuse, their original house. And the Cistercians, founded at Citeaux in France, they had Eastminster, or the Abbey of St. Mary of Grace. All these were monks. The Augustine, or Austin, friars, pretended to have been founded by Augustine, but were not constituted until the year 1256. They had the monastery of Austin Friars in London. There were several branches of this order. There were next the three great mendicant orders, Franciscans, Dominicans, and Carmelites. These were the popular orders. The monks remained in their houses alone, separated from the world. The friars went about among the people. By their vows they were to possess nothing of their own. They were to sleep where they could. They were to beg their food and raiment. They were to preach to the people in the streets and in their houses. They were to bring the rites of the church to those who would not enter the doors of the church. None were to be too poor or too miserable for them. In their humility they would not be called fathers, but brothers, fratres, friars. In their preaching they used every way by which they could move the hearts of the people. Some thundered, some wept, some made jokes. They preached in the midst of the markets, among the sports of the fair, wherever they could get an audience together. The Franciscans, who had Greyfriars House, now the Bluecoat School, were founded by St. Francis of Assisi in the beginning of the thirteenth century. They came over to England and appeared in London a few years later. On account of their austerities and the faithfulness with which the earlier Franciscans kept their vows, and the earnestness of their preaching, they became very popular in this country. Their name, Greyfriars, denotes the colour of their dress. The old simplicity and poverty did not last long. It must, however, be acknowledged that wealth was forced upon them. The Dominicans were founded by St. Dominic, about the year 1215. Sixty years later they came to London, and established themselves in the place still known by their name, Blackfriars. Their dress was white with a black cloak. They were never so popular as the Franciscans, perhaps because they insisted more on doctrine, and were associated with the Inquisition. The third of the mendicant orders was the Carmelite. They were the white friars, their dress being white with a black hood. Their house was in Fleet Street. Here was a sanctuary whose privileges were not abolished till the year 1697. Other orders represented in London were the Cluniacs, a branch of Benedictines. 
they had the Abbey of St. Saviour in Bermondsey, the Black Canons established at St. Bartholomew's, the Canons Regular of St. Augustine, who had the Southwark Priory of St. Mary Overy, the Knights Templars, and the Knights of St. John. As a general rule, it is enough to remember that the monks were Benedictines with their principal branches of Carthusians, Cistercians, and Cluniacs, that the friars were those named after Augustine, Dominic, Francis, and Mount Carmel, that the monks remained in their houses, practising a life of austerity and prayer, so long as they were faithful to their vows, and that the friars went about among the people, preaching and exhorting them. Of the nunneries, some were Benedictine, some Franciscan. That of the Minorites belonged to the latter order, that of St. Helen's to the former. The religious houses were dissolved at the Reformation. You must remember that if it had not been for the existence of these houses, most of the arts, science, and scholarship of the world would have perished utterly. The monks kept alive learning of all kinds, they encouraged painting, they were discoverers and inventors in science, they were the chief agriculturists and gardeners, they offered an asylum to the poor and the oppressed. The friendship of the poor, said Bernard, makes us the friends of kings. And in an age of unrestrained passions they showed an example of self-restraint and austerity. The friars did more. They were poor among the poor. No one was below their care and affection. They had nothing, they would take nothing, at first, till the love and gratitude of the people showered gifts upon them, and even against their will, if they still retained any love for poverty, they became rich. End of Lesson 27 Recording by Ruth Golding